Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church Conway. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. Thanks for listening. Fair warning, just want to let you know, uh, you might get triggered uh, through this sermon, all right? So just wait till you get on social media later um, to unleash all of that passive aggressiveness towards me, okay? So um, I, not too long ago, several months ago actually, it was right before winter, uh, I needed to uh, unattach my hose from the spigot outside, right? The hoses, because my plumber tells me that I have a, a fancy spigot. I, it was there when, when that house was bought. And all I got to do is unattach the hose and it won't freeze up or anything like that. So, so I was trying to do this, but I could not get the hose off of the thing. I just, I couldn't do it. We were like drowning this thing in WD-40 and, and I tried as hard as I could. Jackie tried as hard as she could. And it just didn't work. We couldn't get this thing off there. So I had to go to um, the, the, the Lowe's, you know, the hardware store and, and get a, a pair of channel locks. That's, this is what I needed. But when I went, I saw this. All right. I saw this hanging there and I thought, I've got to have this. This is the coolest tool ever. It's a multi-tool, and it's a number of reasons why I love this thing. There's crescent wrench on this side and a hammer. That's a hammer right there. It said uh, striking face. Um, that's what it called it on the package. There's a striking face. Um, also on this side, there's a pry bar and a nail puller. Um, I love this thing. When I saw it, I was like, man, I got to have that. I kind of in my mind, maybe like 98% knew that this would not work um, for what I needed it for, but um, don't tell Jackie. I bought it anyway, so all right, just because so impressive. One of my favorite things about this thing is right back here on the device itself, emblazoned on this tool, it says, wear safety goggles, user and bystander. There is a warning on here for whoever's just standing around. That's how manly this tool is. And so I bought it. Y'all, this is a 10-inch steel craftsman crescent. It is such a great tool. And uh, and, it, you know, uh, it, I, I took it home. It didn't work. Um, I went back and I got this right here, which worked perfectly the very first time. But um, this, I thought to myself, when I get this, I'm going to use this all the time. And honestly, I do. I find uses for this tool all the time. I don't care what I'm working on or what's stuck or what needs to be unstuck or needs to get stuck. This is the tool that I'm pulling out because I love this thing. This multi-tool is so helpful in so many different situations. Not the one I bought it for, but in every other situation, it has become incredibly helpful. Now, we're going to close out Ecclesiastes today. And uh, we're going to wrap that up, not because... There's nothing else to say. In fact, there's a lot, a lot more that we could say about Ecclesiastes. We're going to wrap it up because next week we're going to start a two-part series. A two-part series called A Great Church. And we just thought with college students coming back, our members coming back from vacations, etc., and the launch of our new Greenbrier campus, which launches next week, we would need uh, to just kind of to, to reorient ourselves around what we do and how we do it, all right? So a two-part series, and I hope that you'll be here for both of those. In fact, I hope you'll bring somebody with you. If you know anybody who is looking for a church, maybe they're considering being a part of a church, the next week is the week to start being here. Today's text, though, in Ecclesiastes 7, verse 15 through 22, today's text sort of gives us a multi-tool. 
It's a tool that you can use in a number of different situations, and we'll talk about those. We'll talk about all of the different ways in which you can use this text and the understanding of it and applying it to your lives. It's really a helpful way of seeing life and navigating through some of our toughest decisions that come our way. I'm excited to share with you because I really do think that it is helpful. But before we do, let's pray together. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the times in which your word makes us uncomfortable, challenges the way that we think about things. God, I pray that it would be helpful as we navigate through life. Lord, even at points where we, where our reaction is to disagree, I pray that we would at least consider, that we would consider it and maybe uh, hold it up to the light and see how valid it is uh, in, in relation to the rest of your word. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray together. Amen. So like I said, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 15. If you are in your first grade Bible, in your first grade Bible, that is page 653, okay? I'm not always going to tell you your first grade Bible pages. You just got to get used to finding, find the book, and then you look for the big number, that's 7, and then you scroll your eyes down until you see the little 15, all right? That's how that works. I know you know that. I just wanted to review for your parents because they don't. They, they forget that stuff, all right? So Ecclesiastes 7, here's what the Bible says. Uh, in my futile life, I have seen everything. Someone righteous perishes in spite of righteousness, and someone wicked lives long in spite of evil. These last two comparisons that the righteous person lives a short life, a good person with a, dies early, and then someone with a wicked, a bad person, they live a long time, it really confronts the retributive principle. It is a word that I have discovered this week I cannot say. Uh, retribution is, is the concept. And then, you, then when you say principle, you're supposed to say retributive, uh, retributive, re- something like that, principle, okay? This, con- this confronts the idea of uh, just this even retribution happening. That it's sort of wired within us that if you live good, then life is going to go good. And if you live bad, then life is going to go bad. That's, that seems right, right? That seems like the way that we should live. But then when you look around at your own life experiences, those of your parents, those of your friends, it doesn't always work that way. Sometimes good people, their life goes bad, like the righteous die young. Or sometimes, like truly bad people, live a long, happy life fulfilled life, it seems. So there's something else going on with that, and we talked about that a lot in Job. So if you want to hear a little bit more about that, go back and listen to Job. He starts off by saying, in my futile life. Now, we said this three weeks ago. Over and over, the author of Ecclesiastes is going to use the word hebel. Hebel meaning vapor or smoke. That's what's going on behind the word futile. He says, in my Hebel life. And we, and we discussed that being that like smoke, it, it appears like you could have like a ton of smoke or haze. The haze is all kind of dissipated, but you could have like a ton of haze or a ton of smoke, and yet you can walk straight through it. It seems like it's weighty. It seems like it really matters, but it, it doesn't. It just kind of floats away, you know? Or you can see it, and you can go to grasp it, and right when you grasp it, it's, it's not there. It just kind of dissipated. It, it's, it's these things in our lives that seem to really matter uh, or seem to really last, but they don't. They are hebel. They are vapor. Here, because he's using it with a time uh, notification, in my futile life, or literally days, in all of my hebel days, 
It means kind of this fleeting notion that you start to grasp it and it goes away. It goes faster and faster away. Teacher looks back on his life and he says, he says, my life went by so fast. Now, last week I had somebody stop me because I kept using the word koheleth. The koheleth is the speaker. It's a Hebrew word that we will translate as preacher or teacher. Koheleth, preacher, teacher, it's all the same word, all right? It's just uh, in the Hebrew, it means a person who gathers people together in order to teach them. Not necessarily a teacher, maybe a philosopher, a street preacher, church preacher, you know, those kind of things. So the koheleth says, my life has gone by so fast. Anybody relate to that? Have you ever like started to write a check or you check the date on something or you're filling out paperwork and you're all of a sudden, it's August? It's already August? Has anybody felt that way lately? I feel that way um, every day. I mean, like, it's like, it's February already? It's February, that sort of thing. June, August, things have gone by so fast. And I hear that the older you get, the faster things go by. Is that true? Some of you are, some of you are confirming that. It's true. The older you get, the faster things go by. Well, let me ask you this. The last 18 months, two years, did they just go by fast or incredibly slow? I can't really put my finger on it. There were times where it felt like uh, this whole thing has gone by in the blink of an eye. There are other times where it feels like it is dragging on forever, you know, just taking forever. He says, my futile life, my fleeting, fast, expiring days, all of this, and I have seen I've seen just about everything. He goes on to explain the, the extremes of it. But in this series, we've talked about three main things. The first one was how much weight you put on things. You live your life, you think this really matters, but really it's hebel, it doesn't matter. Or you think this is really going to last, this is going to make an impact, I'm going to make a difference in this world, but it really doesn't. There's this hebel and, and this life lived under the sun, discounting God, so we live our life beyond the sun. We talked about our work and that the hardships of our work are actually the blessings of our work, that work, labor is good. So whether it's your studies or, or whether it's your nine to five or your chores at the home, that all of these are good for us. They are good. They're, they're not fleeting. They, they, they make us into the person that God wants us to be. And last week we talked about religion and the weightiness of it. That so long as we factor out God in our religion, it all is about us. But when we put God back into our religion, when we center our lives around Jesus, then when we live our lives beyond the sun, where God is, then it is all about God. Not about us, all about God. And so in a lot of ways, he has seen everything. He's talked about a lot of things. But in some ways, he hasn't talked about everything. The idea of him saying that he has seen everything is assuring, right? If you're talking to, uh, let's say you're talking to your grandmother— and she's really smart. She knows all sorts of things. She's giving you this wisdom. That's what's going on in this text. This older principled teacher, preacher is sharing with you, saying, my life has gone by so fast. And if there's just this one thing, if there's this idea that I could give you that you would live your life by, then this is what it would be. This multi-tool, this thing, this one idea will help you. I wrote down some of these. If you were that way, let me ask you this. If you were that way, if you were the wise older person and you were giving the one nugget of advice to somebody else, what would you say? How would you sum up life and living it? Can you think of something in your head? Go ahead. Think of something in your head. Think of something. This is the phrase. I wrote down a couple of them. Don't worry about people that won't be at your funeral. I think that's a good one. 
Um, it all comes out in the wash. My, my mentor says that all the time. It does not matter what we're talking about. I can call him up and say, my leg is broke. He says, eh, it'll come out in the wash. You know, that's just the way he is. Uh, don't sweat the small stuff. I hear people say that. Don't sweat the small stuff, you know. Uh, love God, love people. That's a good, I like that one. That one's from the Bible. In fact, that's exactly what we'll talk about next week. Love God, love people. Um, what else? I have, uh, don't take criticism from people that you wouldn't ask advice from. That's a good one, right? If you wouldn't ask their advice, don't care about their criticism. That's a, that'll keep you going. What would you say? What is the idea? What follows is a warning against the extremes. That's what the Kohelet is about to teach. He warns against the extremes and living life in excess. It has, it helps us in as, as, as a general rule. It can be applied to all sorts of things, but just don't live in the extremes. That's essentially what he's going to say in the next couple of verses. Don't be excessively righteous and don't be overly wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Don't be excessively wicked and don't be foolish. Why should you die before your time? That's what it says directly. There's a, there's a pattern there. Did y'all see it? It says, don't be and don'ts. Why? Don't be and don't. Why? So anytime the Bible repeats a pattern like that, you're supposed to take them and compare them to one another. See what the similarities are. And what he does here is it shows us the similar. So what I mean is you can't really understand this verse unless you take this verse into consideration as well and vice versa. So what's funny about this text though is we read it, right? And you just read it, but you should have sort of read it and snickered. It says, don't be excessively wicked. So is Kohelet saying, you know, just a little bit of wicked is okay. Is, is that what it's saying? So like if you, a minute ago, when you were the wise old person giving advice to the young person, did any of you think in your mind, just a reasonable amount of wickedness is good for your life? Anybody think that? Anybody going to tell your children or your grandchildren that? Only tell your grandchildren that if their parents are standing just outside of earshot. Say, just be a little wicked, all right? That's what it says. Don't be excessively wicked. Or up here, don't be excessively righteous. Is it saying, you know, don't go overboard with the Jesus stuff, all right? It's a lot. Don't do all of that. But of course not. That's not what it's saying. So to understand these, let's take them one. Well, let me point this out. Excessively is the key in understanding this. Not so much the righteousness or the wickedness, but excessively. In the righteousness, there's a couple of different factors to kind of wrap our brains around it. Essentially, take this for consideration. Throughout history, Christianity and, and the church and religion, it's always had this issue with what do we do with our physical bodies, right? We're, we are both physical and we are both spiritual. We are physical and we are spiritual. We have this physical body, we have this spiritual soul. And so there have been these movements and these thoughts, and even occasionally within our own minds, sometimes that we think anything physically pleasing, that's wicked, that's bad. And then there's spiritual things, and, and those aren't physically pleasing. And so this has led to different groups and different people rejecting anything physically pleasing. Um, things like sex or food or drink. These sort of things that bring us pleasure to our bodies. And they're, they're kind of pushed off to the side. And so we begin to think that anything like that is bad. When you're being excessively righteous, you are pushing aside all of what we call the general grace, all of the good gifts that God has given us, only to um, forsake ourselves and to hurt ourselves 
in such a way that we are more spiritual. This is sort of the, this happens sometimes in fasting. It's an abuse of the concept of fasting that I'm just going to make myself hurt so that I am more spiritual. That's, that's not what fasting is about. And that's not what this is saying. It's saying avoid, um, avoid being so engrossed in your religion uh, so far excessively. It's difficult to understand and it's even harder to communicate. Hey, let me give you a couple of like examples. I have seen people, it could also mean not just like the pursuit of it, but like the good things, doing good. Don't be excessively doing good. Now, what would that look like? That would look like the sort of person who pours their life, their essence, everything about them into a good thing. They're trying to help people. There's this problem out there that can never be solved. And so they just sun up to sundown every dime they have, every ounce of energy. They're pouring themselves into a good thing that we would all say is good. And yet they do it to the point of exhaustion, to the point of death, to the point of personal harm. You ever seen anybody like that? They're doing a good thing, but you want to tell them sometimes, hey, you got to pull back a little bit. You have to be healthy in order to help other people be healthy. Don't be excessively good. I've also known other people, uh, usually young men, but it, young women as well, uh, who have given their whole minds to theology or to historical biblical um, data, those sort of things. They, if you ask them any theological nuanced question, they'll know the, the verse and the text and all that. They are completely excessively righteous in that regard. And yet they have no idea how to talk to people or how to help people or how to love people. They can't preach, they can't teach, they can't minister, but they know everything about the Bible. It's what we call being so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. That's the example of don't be excessively righteous. And if we were to flip it and we look at don't be exceedingly wicked, it seems like we understand that a little bit more. If righteous, if don't be excessively righteous was the forsaking of everything that was physically pleasing, then wickedness would be a life that is lived in abandon for everything that is physically pleasing. And so they give their entire lives to anything uh, like physical intimacy or uh, food or drink. And we all know people that do that. That's easy for us to picture. That's easy for us to put into our brains. I was, I was really struggling with typing this out, writing it out, and thinking about it, and thinking, I'm not going to be able to communicate this real well, and I've done it now one and a half times, and I'm still convinced I'm not communicating this super well. So I came up with an illustration, a cake. Uh, I'll tell you why I thought of a cake later, but um, I'm always thinking about cake, honestly. But um, th let's say there's a cake. Let's say you come home one day, and you smell it when you walk in the door. Mom made a cake, right? And mama made a good cake. It's like your favorite cake, right? And you walk through the door, no regard to anybody else, no regard to mama. You walk up to that cake and just both hands, stick it in the cake and you just shut up. It's like, I love cake. This is my favorite cake. This is my cake. And you're just eating it and that kind of stuff. That would be a life given to excess, all right? It's, you, don't re you don't care about mom. You only care about the good thing that mom gave you, but you've done it. You've abused it. Let's say you're the good sibling, though. Your, your brother, your sister, they're the worst. I don't even know why mom and dad keep them, but you're the good sibling, right? And you walk in and you see that cake, that cake that your mom made you, and you, you refuse to have a piece. And, and your mom's like, hey, have a piece of cake. And you're like, no, I can't. I would never want to take you for granted. I love you. I have gratitude for the good things that you give me. So I'm not even, if I were to eat a piece of that cake, that would take my affections away from you, mom. And my affections should only be on you, mom. That kind of thing, you know? Mom would be like, yeah, that's weird. Have a piece of cake, you know? That. 
Because you see what you see by not enjoying the cake, you're not actually appreciating mom. By only enjoying the cake, you're not appreciating mom. So where would the where would the middle be? It would be appreciating mom by enjoying the cake. You see that? One piece. Mom says you have one piece. God says you, you, res- you wait um, with sex until marriage. God says don't eat to gluttony. God says don't drink to drunkenness. God says control your mouth because language is a good thing. God says control your body. Don't harm other people with your body. These are the limitations that God has put up. And we enjoy, we show gratitude to God by enjoying the good things that he has given us within the limitations that he has told us. You see, that makes sense, right? Koheleth over here making it difficult for us to understand, but um, I guess they didn't have cake or something. So, but here's something to keep in mind. Two things to keep in mind about this. The first one is the appearance. I want you to be very careful when you think about the wicked person. When we think about the wicked person, we think about that person who's like partying on the weekend and they're drunk all the time and they're just living their life to whatever feels good to them. They're super selfish person, right? We know what the wicked person looks like. They live their life apart from God. But I would submit to you that there are people within our churches, people within your relationships, that they have lived their life excluding God. That they're only involved in church because they're trying to use religion to give them something that they want. Not chasing God. They're chasing comfort or safety or community or something like that. All the good things that God has given us, all the cake that mom has made, they just don't care about mama. They don't care about God. So I would submit to you, before you get too mad and stereotype and think about the wicked person, that you realize that the wicked person might just look like, exactly like the person in the mirror. Might look like that. So there's the appearance thing, and the other thing is the enjoyment thing. That we would look at this and we'd say, oh, this is an enjoyment scale. These people ain't having no fun. These people are having all of the fun. But if you've lived long enough, you know that there are some of these people that act like they're having a great time. And there's a lot of these people, most of these people, that ain't having fun at all. In fact, they just keep pouring more drink and food and sex into this, trying to have a little bit of it. They're broken deep down on the inside, and they seem like they're having fun. So all I'm really trying to point out is it's not a matter of appearance. It's not a matter of pleasure. It is a matter of excess, of the extremes, way over on the edges, way out on the outside, the fringes that Koheleth is warning against. Don't, don't be excessive. Don't be extreme. He goes on to say this, verse 18, it is good that you grasp the one And don't let the other slip from your hand. For the one who fears God, that's the end, that's the, that's the end of the story. Chapter 12, fear God and keep his command. Don't let this one go, don't let that one go, because the one who fears God will, you'll end up with both of them. You'll live a righteous life. If you, if you, if you enjoy the cake and God, then you are both righteous and grateful. You see that? That's what he's saying. Hold on to both of them. Live not on the extremes. This is a good thing. What I think that this text does more than any other text in the Bible that I have found yet is this really confronts what I call the doctrine of the slippery slope. The doctrine of the slippery slope. People will say that a lot. You'll hear people talk about the slippery slope, and this is something that is against it. 
You hear that phrase and sometimes, and when people are talking about it, it's against an idea or a thought or a belief or a practice that they are uncomfortable with. They'll say things like, well, I just want to make sure that we don't take a step and we end up on a slippery slope. People say that, right? Have you, raise your hand if you've ever heard anybody mention the idea of the slippery slope. Okay, good, everybody. Let's talk about the slippery slope, you and me. Let's talk about this because I feel like it's, it's abused. I also feel like it is a, it is a cage we have, we have locked ourselves in and we didn't even know we were doing it. What is meant usually is that we want to be careful of a decision that will lead us to make another decision. Uh, in other words, if we picture this slope going down off of this direction, or I could use the side of the stage, that slope that's going off that direction, nobody's really ever mad about this step that we took. They're just afraid that we might take this one now that we're there, and then eventually we're going to take this one, and then eventually we're going to slip down the side, and we're going to end up in hell or death or ruin or, 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 or destruction. That's what's communicated in that idea. Also, at least in our circles, the, the circles that I run in, slippery slope is almost always used of the left. It's almost always used of what we would consider to be more liberal or badder, okay? So this is the gooder and this is the badder. And we always are afraid that we're going to slip towards the more badder, all right? We don't want to slip towards the bad. Or if we want to generalize it, we always think of it toward the wicked. And then this side would be the righteous. Also, the way that I hear people talk about it is that the the wicked is slippery, but the righteous is hard. It's like climbing a mountain. It's like climbing the face of a mountain. You got to really like, you got to suffer. It's not fun over here. You know, this is, this is, this is like, you just need to toughen up for Jesus because this is, this is what you need to do. And that, that's easy. And that's what, that's what losers do. Furthermore, I think that I, the way that I always pictured it in my brain growing up with this whole fear of the slippery slope was that right here in the middle is like this just very narrow ledge. Don't mess up. You take one. You even look that direction. You're sliding down to hell. That's how it's going to be. Don't do that. So you need to make sure your eyes are over here. Don't trip, that sort of stuff. This is the slippery slope. And this text is really, really fighting that. It's really pushing against that idea. Why, did, why and how? Because the reality is that there are, and hear me on this because this is what unlocked it for me. The reality is that there are slopes on both sides both sides to the extreme will get you in trouble. Both sides to the excess will kill you. They will rob you. They rob the gospel of its power. Both sides will strangle your Christian walk. You can go too far that way toward the righteousness, too far that way toward the wickedness. And in the middle, it's not this narrow little ledge. It is this path in which we walk toward Christ-likeness. So you don't go too far that way. You don't go too far that way. That's not really the point. The point is to walk with Christ, God, toward Christ-likeness. That's the point. It's not a concern. In other words, what I'm trying to say is, it is not my concern whether or not the members of our church are too far to the left or too far to the right. That's not my concern in whatever the equation is. My concern is that all the people of our church, including myself, are walking more toward Christ. And so this means that I can walk hand in hand, arm in arm, with a brother or a sister that sees a, a topic more to the left than I see it. And to be honest with you, nearly everything 
that I hold, other people are going to be more to the left. But the idea is that I can walk hand in hand with a person that is, uh, I keep reversing things for y'all, a person that is more to my left, right? You can walk hand in hand with this person that's more to my left so long as we are walking toward Christ-likeness because eventually Christ-likeness just brings us all together. All of that will, for lack of a better word, and I hate to say it this way, it just comes out in the wash. It just comes out in the wash eventually. So we don't worry so much about those things. Now, listen to me. I hear your minds working. I hear you afraid or concerned or at first blush when you hear a, to a topic like this, you're thinking like, like somehow Josh is telling you to ride the fence. If you're wired like me, you may fight this. It rubs you wrong. I'm the kind of person that hears teaching like this and I think, I, like I'm really, ch I'm uncomfortable with it. I like things to be black and white. I like things to be the good team and the bad team. Uh, I like things to be a true and a lie. This is wrong and this is right. I like things that, that way and I like to stand on that side and put my jersey on and then claim everybody else as an enemy and shoot at them, right? That's where I feel most comfortable. And to be honest with you, that's where our nation is. Everybody has to pick a side and shoot at the middle. Everybody picks these extremes and they shoot towards the middle. And that's not what Kohela says. He said like this thousands of years ago. He says, don't do that. Don't stand in those extremes and shoot towards the middle when you're really trying to shoot towards the other side. I am not saying that um, when I hear this call towards the middle, it sounds like there's a compromise or a lowering of the standards, but that's not what I'm saying, and that's certainly not what the Scripture is saying. What is being said here is that there is a wrong and a right. That's it. There, there is truth. There are things that are true. There are things that are flat wrong. They're just wrong. Um, like the most common one that I would, like, like I mean, maybe some of y'all don't even want me to stand on, but I'm just going to say it. It's like gender identity. There are boys. There are girls. That's true. That's reality. If you want to use the other kind of language, that's science. That's the way it is. I'm not saying that we would negotiate those standards. I'm just saying that if you're living out in the extremes, you're not going to find the truth. That the truth comes somewhere more toward something different. Because here's the deal. When we say things like, um, well, I'm right of blah, or I'm left of whomever, we're comparing ourselves and our stance toward another person. So you'll hear this in politics. You'll say, well, I'm right of George W., right? Or I'm left of Bill Clinton, something like that. And it makes sense. I'm not saying that it's a bad rhetoric tool. It is. You can use it in those kind of— I'm just saying that I'm not living my whole life. I'm not going to stand up in front of God at the pearly gates and tell him how far right or left of President George W. I am. Because God doesn't care. So long as we what? Fear God. You see, it's not about comparing where on the left-right scale I am. It's about walking with God. And so sometimes you're going to hold up things in the Bible that some people are going to say, you're going to say, look, this is what the Bible says about caring for the immigrants. And people are going to say, well, you're a leftist. You're a liberal. And then you're going to say other things about this is what the Bible says about parenting and gender and marriage. And they're going to say, well, you're a, you're a, a, a right-wing wacko. They're going to say that kind of stuff. And that's why you can take your stances, you can make your decisions, and stand there and get accused of being wherever you're going to be accused of and still lay your head down at night and not care. Because it's about walking with God. 
not comparing yourself to somebody else. Where was I in these notes? <laughs> Next verse, that's where I was. 19 says, wisdom makes the wise person stronger than 10 rulers of a city. That's really just a counterweight because at this point you would say, well, then what good is wisdom? I'm just going to live foolishly. And he goes, no, 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 wisdom's good. But keep this in mind. There is certainly no one righteous on the earth who does good and never sins. So you can be as wise as you want to be, and you should just know that you're not going to get it all right. You're not going to get everything right. Have you ever met anybody on the extremes of any situation? They're like super Republican, or they're super Democrat, or they're super healthy. Like they measure and weigh and all this kind of stuff, everything and what they eat. And they're like running everywhere. They're getting their steps in. You're like, you're talking to them and they're like, yeah, that sounds good. You know, that sort of stuff there over there. And then there's these other people that are like, I'm only running if I'm being chased by an armed person and they seem scary. You know, that you've got the two extremes. Whatever it is, whatever sides of the extreme scale is, I've never met anybody on those extreme scales that doesn't tell me that they're absolutely right. That they're perfectly right. They know all the answers. They can argue with all the stuff like this. And what Ecclesiastes, the Kohelet will remind us, the same thing Psalms remind us, same thing Romans remind us, is there's certainly no one righteous on the earth. No one's got this whole thing figured out. When we walked out of the eight o'clock, I saw Donnie out there and I was like, I can't tell if it's eight o'clock or they really hated that sermon. And uh, he says, yeah, it's a tough text to preach. And I said, yeah, I know, because it pretty much stood up and said, all y'all wrong. That's what this says right here. All y'all wrong. There is certainly no one righteous on earth who does good and never sins, breaks the standard of God. What this verse will tell us, what the rest of the Bible tells us is this. Everybody's broken. Everybody's broken. We are all broken. And we are in need of something else outside of us to make us right. That's this use of the word righteous. Right with God. We need Jesus. And so the Bible teaches us that if you will trust Jesus as your Savior, then you will be saved. Then you begin that walk towards him. In other words, this is the breaking free of the right-left scale. This is the breaking free of the extreme tension that pulls you in two different directions. And this is the walking forward toward Christ-likeness. That I would live my life making decisions, yes, based on what the Word of God says, yes. Taking a stance, of course, as you walk towards being more Christ-like. So think about how this is handy in so many different areas. of. Think about this multi-tool. In politics, we see this, uh, of course, right? Both sides in our generally two-party system are just so flawed. And as a Christian, we have to be able to see, the, see and call the balls and the strikes, even if it's for our own team. We have to be that honest. Religion, it's crazy sad, but some people have taken religion and abused it. They abused people with it. They applied rules to people and forced others to do things that they should not have done, all in the name of God, and that's wrong. And others have just abandoned our faith altogether. They've made what's now popular to deconstruct the faith and attempted to reconstruct it into something all their own making. And that's wrong. Two extremes. We love our downtime. For some of it's productive, like our sports and our recreation. We spend our free time running, running nowhere in particular, not running from anything or to anything, but we feel like it's productive. Two sides of this is the same. You've got the personal enjoyment, and then there's also the place uh, on the other side where, where um, think about the two sides. We have people who have abandoned the church all in the name of select and travel ball. And on the other hand, we have people who have abandoned good stewardship in, uh, of their bodies that God gave them. 
two sides of the occasion. Maybe somewhere in the middle is better. Self-help or personal improvement, our culture is obsessed with finding this personal fulfillment through all manner and means. We have life coaches, supplements, inspirational messages text to us every morning, and our thought guides, all so that we can be obsessed with becoming our best selves. And at the same time, there are those who have given themselves to the evil lie that is, this is just the way I am. Two sides. You can go too far with anything. And to be honest, you can go so far with things anytime that you negate God out of the equation. It helps us to actually live out those one another passages that call us to love and to forgive one another because we can't do these things alone. We need the church. We come alongside of one another to help center ourselves, to help decide and to determine what is right and what is true. In the extremes, you have distrust, frustration, and false sense of security. When we avoid the extremes, we find unity, understanding, and true security in what God has taught us. The other day, for some reason, my family and I stopped on um, a show, Lego Masters. Have y'all ever seen this? Let me see your hands if you've seen Lego Masters. A lot more people than I thought. Um, we, I'd never seen it, but we saw this one episode. We were watching Lego Masters, and those people are amazing. Amazing. There's all these teams on there, and they're building things. I just realized this block is actually four blocks. Um, I got these little uh, Lego bricks going on right here. These people, you just give them these Lego bricks, and they can build anything. I saw that they were building things that lit up and things that moved without instructions. I get the instructions, and I still get frustrated. They just had a bunch of blocks and and built this stuff. It was truly amazing. It really blew my mind. It was kind of like when you watch a cooking show and everybody knows how to make risotto. I don't even know what risotto is. And everybody on those shows knows how to make risotto, you know. Sometimes they burn it. I don't know. You know, it's just risotto. Same thing with the Lego blocks. And so there were the people in there that were talking about how they lived their whole lives— around Lego. Their whole lives around these Lego. In fact, they said so. One of them said, you know, our whole relationship is built on Lego. We met because of Lego. There was another person that said this father-son relationship. They said our whole relationship now is just Lego. All we ever do is we we build Lego together. And I thought, I mean, that's okay. Uh, But I wondered, you know, I truly thought before I watched that episode that Lego were just a toy and then you grow out of it and you don't play with it anymore. But apparently not. I looked up some of this stuff. Uh, most expensive Lego sets. There was about 19 or so that were over $1,500 for just a set. The most expensive one was over $7,000 for a Lego set. Any of y'all paying $7,000 for a Lego set? Um, I can't even tell you what it is. It looked like a man riding a goat. Uh, I saw the picture of it, but they only made 80 of them, so it's $7,300 or something like that. It was made in 2015. There's a Russian uh, dude by the name of Vitaly Solovev, something like that. And he holds the world record for 5,416 Lego sets. Man, you need a fourth garage for that many Lego sets, you know? That's what he did. It's his whole life. It's a serious hobby. These people are really invested in Legos. And I'm not knocking on Legos. I think Legos are cool. When I was researching this, I found, um, I found a F-150 Lego set. And I thought, that is sweet. I'm going to get me that F-150. It was, a, it was a Ford F-150 Raptor. I'm going to get that and build it because that's the only Raptor that I'm ever going to have, you know. So I was going to build that and put that in my, my office. I really liked it. But it did make me sort of question. It made me sort of curious. How sad would it be? And I'm not saying these people are this way, but how sad would it be? If at the end of their life, they get done with living 
and all they ever have to show is some Lego. They spent their whole life on the extreme toward Lego. Or they can run a few more miles than their neighbor. Or their health record. Or their voting record. Or how clean their calories were. Imagine just standing at the end of your whole life and all you have to show for it is Lego. Seems to me you have two choices. You can live on the extreme or you can follow God. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.